And I, I want to I talk to you this evening uh, on a topic that's really simple, really basic, and yet it's so hard we can't understand it. It's so difficult we can't grasp it. It's one word, it's one name, it's Jesus. Simple. Nothing, I mean, that you come to church, you expect to hear about Jesus, but you want fancy frills and thrills. and, and th- I, I can't dress up Jesus any more than he just is, but, but I just want to talk to you about Jesus for a minute, if that's okay. And then the title or whatever, if I was going to give it, would be this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what? Anything. You fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. You pick anything that you want to. Jesus is better. Amen. He will always be better. And there's some scriptures we may bounce around just a little bit. I don't know that I have one set text that I can give you and say this is exactly where we're coming from and exactly where we're going. Uh, But I just want to leave you with the idea. I want to leave you with the point that Jesus is better. And we want to convey that before the night's over, that whatever's going on, no matter the trouble that you faced, however good or bad the day, the week, the month has been, Jesus is still better. Amen? Jesus is still better. Before I get started and have to have a silly moment in the middle, I'm going to get some water right now so I don't have to interrupt this anymore. Okay? The Lord provided a bottle left. Amen. <laughs> See, I didn't want to do that here in a minute once I've already gotten serious and we're in the depth of the messages. Anyway. How many know that Jesus said in John chapter 14, I believe it's verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, right? He's the way, he's the truth, he is the life. Why did Jesus feel the need to say that? I would think that if somebody's following him, hadn't they already figured out he was the way? If somebody's going with him, wouldn't they already have figured out that he's what's true? Hadn't they already found life in him if they're walking with him? And yet Jesus decides that he needs to stand up and declare as he's teaching one day. He comes to them, and this is actually at the end of it all. This is, this is more than likely, according to most scholars, this is the Last Supper where he's saying a lot of this stuff. Because in John 13, he's already washing their feet. The rest of it is just a discourse with the twelve. So he's talking to the closest followers, the guys that you would think that, that should know this better than anybody. And he looks at them and he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. The reason for this would be, I think anyway, how many know that there's a lot of other ways other than Jesus that would be preached? Not just right now, I mean, we could definitely get into that today. If you want to get to heaven, you pick a God, call his name, and you go, and that's just, you know, that's, that's the world's theology. You want to worship the tree, it'll take you to heaven. You just hug that tree all the way to glory, you going. It's... I don't understand modern concepts of God, but that's, that's the way they think, that's the way they teach us, that's what they tell us. And, and so there are a lot of ways presented, but even in Jesus' time, there were a lot of ways being presented to get to God. And Jesus, being better than anything else, gave us a way to God that we had not known before. A true way, a real way, a way that could actually give us access to God in a way we'd not known it before. He is truth because he gave us truth unlike anything that had been taught before. He gave us truth that that if if you remember correctly, it says of his truth that you will know the truth and it will make you free. There's no other truth that does that. It's only the truth that Jesus gave. There's a lot of things that claim to be true. Go read Facebook. Every one of them articles you see posted on there, they claim to be true. You put them all together, and there probably ain't three lines that are telling you the truth amongst 15 of them. It's, it's just, everything claims to be true. 
He is the only thing that is true, though, and the truth that he gives us is the only truth that brings freedom. And then on top of that, he goes on to say that I am the life because there are a lot of people that think they are living it up, that think they found life. There were a lot of people in his day that thought they had found real life. They had figured it out. They had gotten it. And the fact of the matter is they did not even know what living was because they would not accepted him, the life. So he brings us a better way. He brings us truth that is better than anything we've known. He brings us life that is better than anything we've ever known. We've talked about his way. we talked about truth because his truth sets us free. This is, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll start with truth. Here's the thing about Jesus' truth that he brings us that is so much better. It, it's the only truth that changes anything. Again, everything else that claims to be true, that's fine. It can say it is whatever else. It doesn't mean that it changes anything. But the truth that Jesus gives is truth that changes. And it's not just the truth that he gives us. It doesn't just matter that the book is true. It matters if you know and believe and apply the book as to whether or not that truth sets you free. And it's the reason he gave us this truth. But here's the thing about the truth. If I, Robert, if I put you in handcuffs, and you know that I put you in handcuffs, that's a fact, right? It's true. I did it, and you know that there's a key to those handcuffs. That's true. I tell you that I've got the key. You now know that that's truth as well. But if you didn't know that there was a key and you didn't know that I had the key, you don't know where to get the key. You don't know who's got the key. You don't even know if a key exists. You can't get free because you don't have that truth. You don't know that truth. Doesn't matter that it's true that there is a key. Doesn't matter that it's true that I have the key. If he does not know that truth, it doesn't do any good. I don't understand why in the world pastor's always telling us to live right, telling us to live holy, telling us about Jesus, and he's coming soon. Because if you don't know the truth, it does nothing. It's not enough that the truth is here. If someone is not giving you the truth, if you are not digging out the truth yourself, it does no good. doesn't matter that it's true unless we do something with it. Amen? But the truth that Jesus gave, because Jesus is better, once we apply his truth, it changes stuff. And then we could go on and we could talk about how Jesus is a better way and If you've studied the Old Testament just a a fraction, I mean minuscule amount, it's pretty easy to understand Jesus is a better way than what they had, right? I don't know about you, but I like what we do today better than what they did back then. You could could go into tons of traditions, tons of different things that they did. Let's just just read a verse real quick here because somebody's going to say I'm not preaching unless I read a scripture straight from the Bible. So let me go here real quick. I didn't mean that near as sarcastic as it sounded. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2. The Bible says in chapter 2 of Hebrews, in verses 9 through 11, it says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for it became him, For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through his sufferings for both he that sanctifies and they who have been sanctified. All of them are one for which cause he is not ashamed to now call them brethren. Sound a little confusing, right? But anyway, here's the point of it. Jesus is a better way. Because he gave us access to God that we had no other means of getting. 
We didn't even have a way to get to him because if you go back to the Old Testament, this is the New Testament, New Covenant, everything's changed because Jesus has died and ascended. In the Old Testament, before anything had changed, before Jesus died, before he was resurrected, before he ascended back to the Father, you find that they had some very strange methods for dealing with their sin problem. You, you can read of all sorts of sacraments and, and traditions and laws that they had, all of these different things to get rid of. You had, you had to go pull Bessie out of the barn and bring her up front to the church and slit her throat and catch the blood. And Sounds appealing, doesn't it? Everybody go get you a cow, bring it up here next week, and you, you just, you, no, it's not what we want to do if, if we've sinned, if we've messed up. That's, that's not an attractive method. It, it's weird. I ain't figured out yet why God thought that he needed a cow to die to do that, but it was the method he set up. It's weird, though, right? It's okay. I prom- it's, lightning hadn't come yet, so we're all right. It's all right for you to agree with me, okay? I'll take the blame if it's wrong. <laughs> it was a weird method. I don't know why he did it that way, but it's what he chose. And in choosing this method, he gave them things of this sort. There were breads that they would have to cook and bake them a certain way and put them on the altar. And that gave them, you know, forgiveness for this, or they were showing thanks for this or that. They could kill a dove, or they could take a cow and slit its throat and then throw the ashes and the blood on the altar and eat a piece of the burnt flesh, and that forgave this or that. It's getting weirder and weirder as I go, right? Strange method. One of the methods, on the Day of Atonement, you find that the high priest would have to go in, and before he could pray for anybody else, he had to atone his sins. And then he had to atone the sins that were already in the the temple and the tabernacle itself. And then after he did that, he was to pray for the sins of all the nation. And the way he did this was he had to take two goats. And one goat he would take into the temple, and he would kill it, and he would lay it on the altar. He would burn that goat, and his sin and the tabernacle were cleansed through that one. And then another goat he would take, he would lay his hands on that goat, pray for the sins of the entire nation to transfer to this one goat, and he would send Billy out into the woods. I told you it was weird. I don't understand the method. I'm not, I'm not just trying to be funny here, really. You understand what? It's a strange method. It, it was a weird way, and, and I've not fully understand why he did that. But what I do know is that we have a better way now. Because the thing about that way is, you have to understand that the thing with the goat, that was annual. Every year, they had to do that. And the reason Jesus is a better way, for one reason, Jesus isn't like us. I'd be scared to have to trust somebody to put my sins on that goat and send them off, and that depended on me getting right with the Lord. Brother Keith, you hurt my feelings, and I'm the priest. What if I prayed for everybody's sins except yours on the goat and sent it away? You get what... It's a weird method, weird, weird way of doing things. Jesus brought about a better way. And this is the thing that, that Jesus did to bring about a better way is that he came into where we were to give us atonement. And under the law, you could never be fully atoned. You were temporarily atoned until the next year when you had to be atoned again. And the year after that, you had to be atoned again. But the thing about Jesus is he brought pure, true atonement. What does that mean? Break it down like this. Atonement. It's at one mint. And and the the, the definition of atonement is this. It means the bringing together of two that have been enemies into now a peaceful relationship. Now, we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. But before Jesus, we and God were enemies. It's not because he hated us. 
It's not because he didn't love us. It's because the nature that we had submitted to and not yet given into him is completely contrary with his holiness. And, and because of that, James 4 tells us that anybody who's doing the things of the world, they're at enmity with God. They can't live both ways and still be serving him. So Jesus brings about a way for atonement, for at one meant to, to bring us together with God in a way that we had never known before. He gives us a now peaceful relationship with God. <clears throat> Everything symbolic in this Old Testament, the way they do all this stuff, it's, it's all pointing to the way Jesus would do it, but it's all temporary. It all passes, it all fades. So then in the New Testament, we come to a new covenant, and Jesus, Lord, of, Lord and creator of all, steps into our depravity, steps into our mess, sees everything that is going wrong, and Hebrews 2 tells us that he comes and he tastes death for all of us, took our death on him, died on the cross, so that we could then be called his brothers, his brethren. Is King James, you know, we got to sound real holy with that, so. We're made his many brethren through this. <clears throat> so Jesus is a better way because he did what the law couldn't do. The law had no means to ever fully bring us to God. All that it did was it kept things holding out just okay until the full plan of God came. The law wasn't evil. The law wasn't bad. The law was just never meant to do what they were trying to make it do. And the law that we get in the Old Testament, think of it like this. It, you and I, we are drowning in an ocean, and the ocean is called sin. And God in his goodness is not coming to rescue us just yet, but he throws a life preserver. And you grab hold of the life preserver, and you hang on to this pres preservation device. It, it just keeps you alive. <coughs> it, just, it keeps you above water, but it's temporary. It's not a rescue. It's something to make it okay until rescue comes, right? So you had an entire culture that when Jesus comes, when the, the holiday that we're celebrating right now, when he's born into the world and they find out that the Messiah is coming, who's ready to change things, redeem them, and all of this stuff, they don't know how to accept that because they thought that they had already found their rescue in the law. And the law was never intended to be rescue. The law was intended to be a preservation device so that people could hold on to a, a little bit of a relationship with God until Jesus comes. So this is the idea. We're sinking in this ocean called sin. They're holding on to a life preserver called the law. But what good would the life preserver do them if rescue never came? If you're stranded in the middle of an ocean, it doesn't matter how long you cling to that preserver. Eventually, you will die. You must be rescued. It doesn't, you can hang on to this preserver all day long and, and you're still going to die if something doesn't change. So God in his goodness, he threw out the preserver. We cling to it, but now under Jesus, something better than just a preservation device has come. Now rescue has come to us in that he did what Jeremiah spoke of when he said he reached down and pulled me from the miry clay. Something better happens when we understand that Jesus in his goodness, in his love, reaches down to me in the middle of my mess and lifts me out of that. That's my rescue. It's not a preservation device. It's not a patching. It's it's a fix. It's my rescue. It's my salvation. It's a change of circumstance because I'm no longer in the mess that I used to be in. Under the law, you're still in the sin. You're just covered for a minute. You're just okay. You're keeping your head above water. But when Jesus comes, 
He lifts you out. It, it's kind of like that old song. You remember, uh, uh, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the shore, very deeply stained within, never to rise, or, or sinking to rise no more. You remember that? But the master of the sea heard my despair and cry from the water, lifted me. Now safe in my love, lifted me. It was love that picked us up. It was love that found me where I was. It was love that called to you and I when we were living in sin. It was love that saw fit to redeem us. It was love that saw fit to take a cross. It was love that saw fit for a king of all creation of everything that had ever been to choose to come in the form of a baby and enter into our mess and try to come, or not try, but to come and save us. That was love that came in and lifted us. And this, this love, this grace, this goodness, this Jesus, he meets us where we are. There are no requirements. There are no prerequisites. There, there is nothing asked of me other than to submit and to surrender to who he is. He came and he changed everything. What we had known of relationship with God, we realized was not relationship at all. It was hanging on by a thread until relationship was given us the opportunity. There was no such thing as relationship then. But now we've been given, let's think about it this way. Maybe something you hadn't thought about before. I hadn't thought about it until the thought just kind of hit me. So anyway, Old Testament, he's God, he's provider, he's Lord. He's all of these different titles. He's defender. But he's never more than a list of attributes or just God. You ever thought about this? But then in the New Testament, he changes and Jesus opens up a doorway that makes him so much more than just God. Now he's father. And that happened because of Jesus being a better Wait, he took us from a place where we could talk to God, and now we can talk to our Father. Now we can talk to someone. He's not just the God of the universe. He is that. But he's my Father. He's my Father. And I can call on him when I need him. I don't have to feel there's a difference if I need help. For me to go to somebody else who's in authority, who's in power, maybe they like me, maybe all this. But it's different for me to go to them than for me to go to my own dad. Just something different about that. There's no walls put up. There's no facades. There's nothing fake about it. I can go in, tell him what's going on, what I need, why I've got to have it. All of the junk, I can lay it out and not be ashamed of it, not be afraid that he's going to say, no, I can't help you with that. You're not good enough for this. Because of the relationship, I am confident That he's listening, that he's concerned, that he wants to make a difference in what I'm telling him about. The same way with our father, who is no longer just God. He is God of all, but he is now also my father. And Jesus gave us that chains of relationship. Jesus is the reason we are able to access him in that manner now. Think about it when you you see the, the disciples come to Jesus it's uh, Matthew chapter 6. Pastor's been preaching on it all for these last few Wednesday nights and all about the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> and what you'll find about that prayer is everybody before Jesus always prays God, Lord, creator of heaven and earth. All of these different. But Jesus blows their mind when they say, 
Lord, teach us to pray. And he begins his prayer, not with some thee, thou, majestic creator of both heaven and earth, but he begins with our Father. It's intimate. It's close. It's real. It's personal. It's not somebody that I have to put up an act for. It's somebody who loves me no matter what I did. It's somebody who wants to be with me, who wants to help me, who wants to come to my rescue, who wants relationship with me. Not because of anything I've done, just because he's my father. That is what Jesus gave us. That is why Jesus is a better way. Because Jesus took us from a place where we were slaves to sin, holding on to a life preserver that could never fix the problem, to where now we are children of the Most High God who can go in boldly to his throne room. We can approach him. We can talk to him. We can call on him. Jesus made that possible. What what does that have to do with Christmas? Because without Christmas, he didn't come. Without him coming to this world, we didn't get that Savior. Without that Savior, we don't have a father. We remain orphans bound to the law. But through the coming of Christ, through Christmas, we are given relationship with God that we could not have accessed any other way. Here's something else to look at. Jesus, every time he prays or speaks about God, he doesn't say God. He says, my father, the father, I will pray the father. Let me talk to my father. All that my father giveth me or my, it's always father. He never refers to him as God. He'll refer to him as your Lord or these things, but it's always father. If he's talking about his relationship with God, it's always the father. Now, Jesus then comes to the cross And in an hour when he needs his father, how does he call on him? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What changed? Why would he say, my God, my God? He took the burden of knowing his father as only God so we could take the blessing of knowing God only as father. I no longer have to approach him as some big scary man in the sky with lightning rods jabbed at me every time I mess up. He's daddy. He's father. It's intimate. It's real. It's somebody I can talk to. And the only reason we get that is because of this season right here when he chose to come to us and be with us and help us and know us and love us and lift us out of all that we've been through, out of all that we've walked through, out of all the trouble, out of all the struggle, out of all the problems, out of, out of everything we've known. He comes to raise us out of that. We get to know him as Father because Jesus is a better way. He moved us out of a law of death into a place of blessing, of grace. Think, think, here's a few more things to just, just think on. Just some stuff about the difference in what we now know because of this season right here when he chose to come to us. In the Old Testament, Moses ascends a mountain to talk to God on behalf of the people to receive the law. And when he receives the law at the foot of the hill, something else is going on and 3,000 of them have to die. Under the New Testament, Jesus ascends to the Father and we're given grace and 3,000 are added to the kingdom on the day of Pentecost. Everything about the law brought death. Everything about grace brings life. 
Under the law, we see that Moses comes into the presence of God in Exodus chapter 3. He's going to talk to God. There's a burning bush. It says he turns aside. He goes to speak with God. What does God say to him? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. In other words, you're not worthy to be standing in this place. So don't disgrace this place. Do what I'm, do what I'm telling you to do. Here's a law. Here's an order and an ordinance. You're not worthy to stand here. Then you come to the New Testament And Jesus begins to tell a parable about a prodigal son. And he talks of how the prodigal has left his father and done wrong and not been who he should have been. And he's walked away. He's been disobedient. He's been rebellious. All of this junk. And then as this prodigal returns to his father, what does his father say to him? Put these shoes on your feet. You're not a servant or a slave. You're a son. We went from a place of not being worthy to even be in his presence to now he welcomes us into his presence and says, here, I bring you to, I make you worthy to stand here with me. It came through the better way that is Jesus. Another thing about Jesus that we can look at from the book of Hebrews chapter 2, we'll find that he is a better high priest. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us this in verse 17 and 18. It says this, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a reconciliation for the sins of all people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure, to aid, to help the sins of of people and, and all those that are tempted. What is it saying? It says that because he is the God that left heaven and came to earth to come to where we are, to meet us where we are, to to live in this forsaken place compared to what he's known. He went from living in the presence of God, being God, day in, day out for eternity. He didn't even know what time was where he's living on this throne. And he leaves that comes into this place where, like Pastor said, he's, he's an, he can't do anything for himself. He leaves all that he knew to come here. And in coming here, he's tempted. He's tried. He struggles. He, he feels the pain and the aches of, of an earthly body. He knows all of these, these things and this stuff that goes wrong and that happens to him. He, he knows what it is to have people talk about him and reject him. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to, to smash his hand with a hammer or to hurt himself or, or, or to lose someone that he loves. He knows all of these pains because he came to where we are. And in coming to where we are, he became a better high priest because he did what no other high priest had done. He lowered himself to be just like the people he was interceding for. He knew their sorrow. He knew their hurt. He knew their problems. He knew their pain. And then from that, he brings himself back to a position where he is now at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us, and he's not calling out from a position over us saying, well, you know, they're just not that good. We just didn't make them that smart. We, we just didn't give them what they need. They're just not that strong. They're just not that tough. They're just, they're just not good enough, brave enough, holy enough. What, he doesn't... St- and condescend us and tell God the Father all of the things that we are not and that we can't be. He looks at them and says, I've been where they are. And I know what they feel. And I know the hurt that they are enduring right now. I know the, the problem that is going on. I understand all of it. And he intercedes on our behalf. He's a better high priest. We're talking about Jesus. Amen. 
He knows our struggles. He knows our hurt. That's why Hebrews 4.15 declares that, that he is a better high priest because he is one that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows our pain. He knows our hurts. He knows our struggles. And then here's the thing that really makes him a better high priest. Can, can we get into just, can we just go like this deep? Like that deep. It's not, just bear with me. Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of those verses that I, I never read much before, but then when I read it, I thought I was going to have one of them Pentecostal fits. I ain't got no bobby pins, but if I did, they'd hit the floor. Okay, it, it was just one of them moments. You know what I'm talking about? Half of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12. We'll read them real quick. Let me set it up for you, though, real quick. In the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, we're not going to read it, but you can go and look at it. The book of Hebrews gives a, a long, lengthy description of all the furniture and the sacraments and the things that are pertained, uh, pertaining to the temple. Gives all of this different stuff that's going on there. And he talks about a golden censer and a lampstand and a laver and, and an altar and, and, and the mercy seat and all, all this different furniture and a table for the showbread. So we've got lamps, we've got tables, we've got altars, we've got sinks and washstands, and we've, we've got all this different stuff. And there's one piece of furniture that never shows up in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where the priests make their sacrifices. There's one piece of furniture that never has any need to be made. You can't find where God told them to make it. They didn't just forget it. It's because God forbid it. There was no need of it. One piece of furniture that didn't get to be in there. Do you know what it is? A chair. Because a chair would be a place that they could go in and sit down and rest, and it would be as to say, I'm done for right now. I'm finished. But the work of a high priest under the law never got to be finished. Remember, it was annual. Another sacrifice. Another sacrifice. Another year passes, let me go find another goat. Another year passes, let me get the cow. Another year passes, got to bring in the doves. There's always something to do. There's always work to be done. Somebody's always sinning. Somebody's always messing up. Somebody's always struggling and striving, and there's always problems. Somebody always needs prayer. Somebody always needs blessing. The high priest never got to a point in his job where he did not have something to do, so God did not tell him to make a chair to put in the temple because he didn't need it. He always had something to do, and I'm about to get excited. You're going to have to do You just bear with me. He never gets to sit down, right? No chair. High priest don't get to sit down. Who's our high priest? He's a little bit different than the ordinary high priest, right? Jesus is better. Hebrews 10, verse 11 and 12 says this. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Boy, I can't help. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm pushing it down. You bear with me. Read this verse. Chapter, chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Why did he do that? <laughs> That's a good spot for one of them shouting, dancing, kicking moves right there. You get a head jerk and everything else out of that. I'm tell you, if that, that gets all over me to think, because I look and I see high priests all through the book. They didn't get to sit down. They didn't get to stop doing their job. 
There's always something they needed to do. There's always somebody that they've got to atone for, somebody they've got to cover. But Jesus, his work was good enough that in one time and in one setting, he finished the work and he sat down at the right hand of God forever finishing the work for my salvation and your salvation. He sat down at the right hand of God. It's done. That's why he yells from the cross, it is finished. Not his life, not his breath, not his body, his work, his assignment, the reason he came. It was accomplished. And he forever sat down. He's a better way because he gave us access to God. He's a better high priest because not only did he finish my work and forever paid for everything, but he also knows how I hurt. He knows why I hurt. He knows what hurt me. He knows how to deal with it all. He's got it covered. And here's one more thing I want to show you. <coughs> He's a better way, better high priest. And this, this better way, this, this better high priest, this good God, what does he do? He comes to where I am. He meets me where I'm at. He he doesn't expect me to bring him great gifts anymore. I I don't have to pay. I don't go to a set temple. I speak to, I call out father and he's there. And and, and before I ever even knew to call out father, he came to me a little over 2000 years ago in the city of David at a Christmas season. Oh, it wasn't Christmas yet. They didn't put up trees. There wasn't anything decorated. They didn't know it was a special occasion yet. But he came to where I was. He became my Emmanuel. He became the God that is with me. At Christmas, when he decided to come down and be the God that I could call on, that I could speak to, that knows my hurt and my pain, he became my Emmanuel. He changed the position of everything we'd ever known about God and what we thought about him and who he was and where he was. I told you we was going to bounce a little bit. Let's, let's bounce from, from the back to the front of the book real quick. Genesis chapter 28. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. Genesis 28. I'm going to go ahead and read for time's sake. <clears throat> chapter 28, verse 12 and 13. The Bible says this. Speaking of Jacob, it says, He dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Le- re- pay attention to this spot. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land where, or Isaac, the land whereon you lie to you, will I give it to your seed. Jacob dreams. He sees a ladder, right? Angels of God are ascending and descending. God's standing where? Above it. As if to say that in this place where you're lying, the angels of God are bringing down blessing and taking up need. That They're bringing down what you need and taking back up the, the, the request and, and all the great symbolism there. <clears throat> and God's the ladder, ready to receive that. This is what Jesus did, though. He's Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel means the God that is with us. He's going to be with us. He's got to come to where we are, correct? John chapter 1, verses 50 and 51 says this. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Nathaniel anyway, because I answered unto you and I saw thee under the fig tree, you believe. You will see greater things than these. And he said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter, you will see heaven open and you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Where was God in Genesis 28? Above the ladder. Where's he in John chapter one? Beneath the ladder. What changed? Why is that important? Why, what that doesn't mean anything? What are you talking about? It means that God decided to leave his place above and away from us and disconnected from us. And he chose to come to the bottom of that ladder, coming to where we are. He chose to become Emmanuel. He, he lowered himself. He rejected all that he was and the greatness that he is. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4, we sing it all the time. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who what? Who was, who is, and who is to come. Where are they at when they're singing that? Heaven. Circling the throne. If in heaven he's still the God that was and is and is to come, that means even heaven is not good enough to hold all that he is. You follow that? How did that God that is that good, that big, that great, how in the world did he squeeze himself down into this lowly form like you and me and leave the top of the ladder where he was and descend to the bottom so that he could be with us? He gave up all that he was and all that he knew. He was still God. He was still man. I understand that. But he chose to leave all of that greatness, that throne, that glory, to move down to a place where he could be with us. That's why Jesus is better. Every other prophet that you read about, every other God that you read about, they exalt themselves above everybody. They stick themselves above others. They are to be worshipped, and all of the, and I understand we worship the Lord. Follow me. They're saying that, that they are so much greater than everyone. They, you take these prophets who were nothing more than men of other religions, and they stick them on this pedestal and say that they are to be worshipped, they are to be praised, they are to be all these wonderful things. You can't speak poorly about him, can't do any of this. And our God chose to be the greatest God, the true God, the only real God. And he comes down from his place of greatness and glory and interjects himself into my lowly mess. He cared enough about me that when, when I wasn't worth caring about, when I wasn't worth loving, when, when it didn't matter, what, or when I didn't, even, I didn't even know to love him, in that time, he still chose to move himself from the great place that he was to descend down into this lowly place that I was living. He left his goodness. He left glory. He left a throne. He left, he left the, the tree of life and the river of life and all, that, all, this, all this different stuff. He leaves all of it to come and meet me where I am. He changed positions. He's a better way because he gave us access to God. A better high priest because he knows where we're at. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we deal with and all this stuff. And then on top of that, he's Emmanuel. He is God. Jesus is better because he came to where I am. He didn't make me come to him. He didn't make me fix myself to get to him. He didn't make me change it. He came to me. Love lifted me. It was love that would drive somebody to give up all that he did to come down. Somebody who can't give him back anything. Everything I've got to give is not worth anything. 
And he chose to come down here and meet with me and bring me up into a place where he doesn't call me a slave. I'm not unworthy. I'm not to be looked down upon, but he makes me a son. He calls me his own. He, He is Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is the reason for the season because he changed everything when he came. He changed everything we knew about God. He changed everything that there was for us to think, everything that was, all of it. He changed it all. Can, can the musicians come and just begin to play softly? <clears throat> it's a total 180 from what they knew in the, under the law. Under the law, they struggled to survive. They struggled to maintain these rituals and, and all of this stuff. And, and, and they're doing it. They're making it work. They're, they're surviving under the law. And then we get placed under grace, under a goodness so wonderful that we can't even comprehend just how good it is. We can't even fathom how great he is to us. And sometimes I find myself abusing it. Amen? I don't have to keep rituals anymore. I don't have to do all this different stuff. And I have the ability to access him at any time. I say a name and he's there. I think about him and he's with me. I take that, whereas in the Old Testament they had to sacrifice and they had to do all of these rituals and and they had to put on sackcloth and ashes and and sit in the ashes and all of this stuff. I don't have to do any of that. And not only that, but he's not just God anymore, but he's made himself available to me as my father. And sometimes I still feel like we abuse that. I feel like I abuse that. I forget until I get to a time like this when I have to start thinking about Christmas and about the goodness of him and that he came to me when I didn't need it or not when I didn't deserve it, when I couldn't afford it, when there was nothing I could do to earn that. He came to me. He came to be with me. He came to help me. And there's nothing, there's nothing I could do to earn that. And yet we live in this place where we all but abuse that grace and we just we, we take it for granted that we now have such great access to Him. I heard a preacher say one time, we are most like God when we give because God at His very nature is a giver. He gives, that's what He does. He gives peace, He gives hope, He gives life, He gives joy. He gave His only Son. God at His core is a giver. And we're most like God when we give. And Christmas is coming up, and and I guarantee you, you've thought about the gift for the kids. You've thought about the gift for for the wife, for the spouse, for the boyfriend, for the girlfriend, for the family member, for the ex-son-in-law three times removed. and what You've thought about the gift for everybody. And I've thought about the gift for everybody. But have I thought about giving back to the one who gave it all? Because sometimes it, it gets so busy with everything we've got to do and all the things we've got to get and got to give, that I forget to stop in a time when he gave everything. He gave it all up to come to me. Sometimes I forget to give him back the time he deserves. And I forget to give him back the love and the devotion that he deserves. And I forget to give him back and just praise and worship and just loving him the way that I should because I get so caught up on everything else i got to give and I'm doing a good thing. But I forget to give to the one that gave it all. And I, I just wonder, just, just what if, 
What if this Christmas season, we decided to take this and make it a time when, yeah, we've got to focus on the friends and on the family. We've got to give. That's a good thing. I'm not knocking that. Follow me, please. It's a good thing. But what if we took some time to focus on giving something back to him? What, what if we focused on, on giving him who we are? Everything about us, surrendering every bit of it and saying, God, it may not be much, but here you go. This is what I got. I give it to you. You can do that, and I can do that. You know why? Because he's better, and he accepts our brokenness. He accepts the mess that we get ourselves into. He made a way for us to get to him when, when, why would he even care to do that? But yet he still chose to make a way. He chose to be a high priest who listens to me. And he chose to be Emmanuel that would come and be with me, to help me, to guide me, to rescue me. He can't. So I, I don't have a fancy way to end this. What I'm, y'all just, just sing a, a chorus or whatever. And all I'm going to ask you to do is if you want to come down here, if you want to stay seated where you are, would you just take a moment to just, let's just put our minds, shut everything off. I know it's hard. Some of the bills are coming due tomorrow or this week, and you got stuff you got to do for work, and you got family that's going to be coming in in a couple of weeks, and you got presents to buy. I know. I get it. I really do. But what if we just took just a minute? And we dropped all of it and said, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Can, can we do that? Is, that? is that okay? Can y'all just sing something just softly? And I, you just find a spot to pray, whatever you want to do. I know it's not the fanciest way to end it, but can we just do that? If you want to come down to these altars, they're open. If you want to come and stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to kneel in your pew, whatever you want to do. Let's take some time to reflect on the Jesus, the God that is so much better than anything we deserve, anything we could earn. We love you, Jesus.